This morning we are going to be in Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 27 through 38. Take note of the sermon. Love your enemies, even the ones you don't agree with. And you might be going, what in the world is that about? Well, hopefully it'll at least be clear as mud here in a few minutes. But this was a very appropriate reading for today with the beginning of General Conference and some other things we have going on in the world. I, I did not plan this. This, was, this is the gospel lectionary reading for today. Whoever says that the Holy Spirit stifle is stifled by the use of the lectionary, I'd use this as yet another example to say that's wrong. So today we're again in Luke chapter 6 verses 27 through 38. Hear these words now, the words of Jesus. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt too. Give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you, get, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as the children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful, who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, or it will all come back against you. Forgive others, and you will be forgiven. Give, and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. The word of God for the people of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for this day. We're grateful for your presence here among us today, evident already. So Lord, we invite you into this place once again to sit with us, to minister to us, to guide us. May the words of my mouth and may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, as I mentioned a few moments ago, the general conference that we have been anticipating and preparing for, for it seems like at least the last two years, has finally started. As we speak, our delegates are gathered together in the dome at America's Place, where the St. Louis Rams used to play. And they are beginning to hear reports from the Commission on a Way Forward. They're beginning to hear, and to do rather, some of the work of the Legislative Committee. There's only one this time. That over the next couple of days, as they 
make decisions and debate about the future of the church. In a way, I'm almost relieved that it's finally here. Because I have to make a confession. I've been following the lead up to General Conference pretty closely, which I view as part of my job since I am a United Methodist pastor. But I have to be honest when I say I have grown very weary of a lot of the rhetoric that I've been reading and hearing from a lot of people. This lead up to General Conference has been nothing short of a political campaign. And I mean that literally because there are, there are groups that have formed to advocate this position or that position for the uh, future of LGBTQ inclusion and ordination and marriage and whatever else. And they've all banded together like political parties to state their position. And they've, they've campaigned very much like political parties, trying to get the delegates to vote the way they want them to vote. There's also been a lot of political posturing. There's been a lot of threats of if I don't get my way, I'm going to leave. And they've been doing this largely to instill a sense of fear into the delegates, at least from my perspective. There's been a lot of ugly comments of people directed from one another who are on opposing viewpoints of the, of the situation. There's been a lot of ugliness. And I really hope that that means that the fact that General Conference is here means that Hopefully that's all soon to come to an end. But you know, even I've expressed some views. I, I like debate. I like discussion. And I like challenging people sometimes, especially if they say something that's particularly interesting, we'll say. And there have been times where I've expressed a view that's, that's opposite of the person to whom I was talking and for whatever reason, they've accused me of being hostile toward them. Now, if, and I heard somebody laugh, because you know me well enough to know that I'm anything but hostile. But in the age of social media, and, and I know this, it's, it's hard to read someone's emotions when you're reading words. And especially when you're looking at a, in the lens of your viewpoint, it's easy to take those words as something that they're not. Especially, again, if they're the opposite of what you believe. This honestly really kind of hurt me because, again, I'm anything but hostile. And I don't mean words with ill intent, but when I began to think about it, here's what I realized. The real problem here is that we as a society have been conditioned to think that people who disagree with us are our enemies. Even if they disagree just a little bit, if they disagree with us, they are our enemy, so says the world. And because of that, if someone expresses an opposing viewpoint, often that person will take that as a personal attack. They'll take it as an attack against themselves, and they'll take it as an attack against their character instead of debating an issue. In other words, they take the whole thing personally, and that's, at least in most cases, not the way it was intended. And a large part of the reason for that, I believe, is because of the political climate in which we find ourselves in. And you know yourself, you've seen it, that we have a lot of absolutism in, in uh, politics today. 
The mantra from both sides of the Democratic and the Republican aisle is either you are completely with us or you are completely against us. In other words, you can, let's say you, you agree with what a political party says and you agree with every single point that they make. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I like that. But then they come to the one that you don't like or that you disagree with for whatever reason. And you say, you know, I don't know if I'm really on board with that. What about this? Well, the tendency these days is to say, well, you're completely against us. We have no use for you. Get out. Such is the world we live in. And unfortunately, that has also crept into the church. Such mindsets have gotten in the pews and gotten in the pulpits and everywhere else. Those views of, if you disagree with me, then you are my enemy. i got to be honest with you, and especially in light of what we read here in Luke 6 just a minute ago, I really believe that such thinking is the antithesis of the teachings of Christ. In other words, it's completely against everything he's calling us here, and especially here in Luke 6. And let's just be real and call this what this is. Such a mindset is completely toxic. There have been churches that have split over such mindsets. I know the joke of, well, this church split off from this other church because they couldn't agree on the color of the carpet. And I have to say, that has actually happened. I have witnessed it. But often churches will be split because of a disagreement over one issue. And that will lead to people thinking they can't be in fellowship anymore. But I counter it with this, that Christ commands us to love our enemies, even the ones we disagree with. But here's the question, and a question you can kind of wrestle with as I'm, as I'm making some other points here. Is someone who disagrees with us really our enemy? Just think on that for a second. So here in Luke 6, we catch Jesus in the midst of what's called the Sermon on the Plain. He's already given the Beatitudes and the woes, and now when he tells the apostles and, those are, and others who are presumably gathered, if for those who want to hear, because they've already heard all this other stuff, well now Jesus is about to launch into some new radical teaching that maybe they are not ready for. It's almost like he's giving them a warning saying, ready or not, here I go. We know what the natural tendency is when we come across someone that we perceive as an enemy. The tendency is to hate them. The tendency is to do anything but love them. The tendency is to go, no, get away from me. I don't want anything to do with you. It's to do anything other than literally give them the shirt off our back or to turn the other cheek after they slapped one of them. But here is Jesus saying if somebody hates you, love them. If somebody slaps your left cheek, turn your head and show them the right one. If someone tries to take your coat, give them the coat and the shirt off your back. Folks, this is radical stuff. 
He's calling us to a much higher response. And he's calling us to love even when we're hated and even when we're challenged. Something that is really, really hard to do. Does anybody in here think doing such a thing would be easy? It's not. But also, let me ask you this. At any point, has anyone ever told you that being a Christian is always going to be easy? Because I got some bad news for you. If somebody has told you that the life of a disciple is easy, I'm sorry to say they lied to you. They told you a mistruth. Because Jesus is calling us to something that unless we are given the power of the Holy Spirit, it is impossible to do. The kind of love that Jesus is calling us to do is really important to take note of. Now, I messed up saying this word at Lost Gap, and I eventually got it right. Hopefully I get it right this time. In the original Greek, the word translated as love is agapeo. Now, this probably sounds very similar to agape. Now, agape is its own kind of word, and it's its own kind of, of expression of love here, but it's very, very similar. And I'm just going to read to you the way that my Greek lexicon defines agapeo. It involves a deep level of affection and intimacy. Agapeo can describe Jesus' love for people, the Father's love for Jesus, Human, lo human love of God and a broader range of love between people, including love for one's neighbor and even one's enemy. Often in society when we say we love somebody, oh, I just love Jan, she makes the best cookies. Oh, I just love Billy Joel and his music. That kind of love that's often promoted by our society is a very shallow love. It's very superficial. It's flippant and it's breakable. Very easily breakable. But the kind of love that Jesus is calling us to do, this agapeo, this is a love that's unconditional. This is a love that is not very easily breakable. And this is a love that is anything but flippant. It is sure. And we simply, because we have this calling, we have no room to look at very many people as our enemies. Now, this is one of these teachings that some people will say, well, surely this is nuanced. Surely Jesus means, well, yeah, love your enemies, but maybe not those people. You know, personally, I don't think Jesus is really talking about people that are seeking to do, like, serious harm, like killing you, for example. Personally, I don't, just based on my study, I don't think that's really what Jesus is talking about. What he's talking about are these people that maybe want to do harm, but maybe only for the moment by insulting us or by trying to rob us. I don't think he's talking about the people that are trying to shoot you. But even, even so, the tendency is to look at people like that as our sworn mortal enemy. And our tendency, again, is to respond appropriately with scorn and with hate. But instead, Jesus is saying, do something different. 
Respond in a way that shows this person love. You could even go so far as to say this, is that Jesus is commanding us. If someone tries to take your wallet, don't try to beat them up. Say, here's $10. Obviously, you need it. Now go away. And that sounds radical because it is. But that truly is what Jesus is calling us to. And it's hard. It's challenging. I know it is. But as Christian disciples, again, no one ever said it would be easy. This is part of our calling. And even so, to put it back in terms of disagreement, if the bad that someone has tried to do to us is simply disagreement, we are all the more so called to love them. We are indeed called to be countercultural as Christians. And Jesus is reinforcing that with this teaching. The world says, disagree with me and you're my enemy. Be gone. But Jesus says, even though we don't agree on everything, you're still my brother. That that ought to be our response. This all or, or nothing, this absolutism that society has put on pretty much everything these days, I, you know, I have to be honest, I never really understood it. I've never really understood it. Because even when we encounter people that we disagree with on maybe one little thing, it's easy for us to see that one little disagreement but to miss the loads more common ground that we have with that person. It's really easy for us to miss that. And truthfully, society doesn't want us to see it. And why, I don't know. It's just the fallen sinful world that we live in. That's about the best explanation I can come up with. Using the backdrop of General Conference once again, there's a lot of all-or-nothingism going on there. And again, it's not of people of any particular scriptural um, interpretation or one ideology or another. It's, it's everywhere. You either see it my way or we're enemies. There's a lot of that. And truthfully, I think such a mentality is doing a lot of harm to the church. It's hurting our witness and especially in light of Luke 6, folks, we're called to better. We are called to a much higher response. And the same goes in politics. When we allow our political beliefs to lead us down that road of absolutism, it's my way or the highway, you agree with me completely or you have no place in my life. Instead of responding that way, Jesus says no. Respond with love. Love your brother even though you don't see eye to eye on everything. Because at the end of the day, does that really matter? I mean, truly. At the end of the day, does that change who we are in God's eyes? I'm inclined to think at least in 99.9% .9 of cases, no. Hear this, brother or sister, no matter what, you are beloved by God. And he loves you more than you will ever be able to understand and more than I can ever put into words. Jesus says, 
love in the way you want to be loved. Don't we all want to be loved that much? Therefore, that's what we should do. So today, from this point forward, here's what I want us to do. And it doesn't matter what happens in Congress. It doesn't matter what happens at General Conference. As Druid Hills United Methodist Church, I want us to resolve today to respond in love, to be quick to listen, to be slow to anger, to carry out the teachings of Jesus Christ, to carry out the call of Christ to love, and to love even the people who we disagree with. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. At this time, I'd like you to join me in praying for our general conference. As I said, they are gathered together to make some decisions about how we move forward on the I hate to use the word issue because ultimately we're talking about people, but on the issue of human sexuality, the level at which we include LGBTQ persons in the life of the church. These are important decisions. It's important that our delegates make the correct decision. So what we are praying for here essentially is wisdom and a movement of the Holy Spirit. So will you join me? Gracious and loving God, who leads, teaches, and guides, you who offer compassion and grace and mercy, be with us now. We patiently seek your presence during challenging times and circumstances, and we trust that you are moving in and around our lives. We, as one part of your body, the church, Go into the days and weeks ahead seeking to discern your deep desire for us as the United Methodist Church. Give us courage as we continue to live and respond to your invitation to be your hands and feet and voice. We ask for a fresh wind of your spirit and guidance for each of us as individuals. For the faithful congregations and for this global community of United Methodists. We ask for your wisdom and presence for those among us who have been called to serve as delegates at the special session of General Conference. Grant them clarity and a discerning spirit as they seek to listen for you in their midst. Reveal to them your deep desire for our future as a church. Give them and us the faith to lay aside our personal wants and needs so that we can be truly present to you. Sit with you in reverence and awe and listen deeply for the still small voice that woos us and comforts us and invites us to that place where we can live fully and wholly into the kingdom life that you desire for us. We lay all of this before you as the deep desire of our hearts and minds in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen.